0: In today's episode, we're sharing a presentation from MaxLawCon 2020. Our originally scheduled MaxLawCon speaker, Melanie Leonard, presented live to the Maximum Lawyer Guild community. And today we share her talk, Automation's Gone Wild. Let's get to it.
1: Thank you for having me. How are you, Maximum Lawyers? My name is Melanie, and I'm from a company called Streamlined Legal, where we help law firms get the most out of their practice management software. And today we're going to be talking about automation, specifically how automation can change the practice of law and your firm in particular. So I'm super excited to be here today. Thank you, Becca. Thank you to everybody involved in getting me here. Excited to be in, with you guys in person in the future, but for today, excited to be here on video. So I wanna start today by showing you a short little video and then we're gonna talk a lot about that video. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen here. Awesome. So. A ton of automation in there obviously the idea here is that we all know Henry Ford or at least I'm assuming we've all heard of Henry Ford we all know what he's famous for but what I think we don't always think about you know we saw the things that he's famous for in there we saw the moving assembly line we saw automation in all kinds of forms we saw the you know the the chair swing out to help the person you know t- tighten the bolt and swing back till the next car came up We saw all kinds of machinery being used there. And this is obviously in a industry that is very highly, highly automated, right? And so I think one of the things, though, that we don't always think about is that what effect that had on the American experience. And so just to give you a few little details... When Henry Ford first started with his automated assembly line and when he started that whole process, um, most workers in factories were making somewhere around 250 a day and two dollars and fifty cents a day that is and a lot of times they were working most of the time they were working nine hour shifts and so what he did was he was able to use his assembly line to get the car building process down to such a science that he was able to offer the ford workers he was able to offer them five dollars a day and instead of spending nine hours in a shift. They were now spending eight hours in a shift. And so it was more money, twice as much in most cases, more money and less hours of work. And so as a result, when he announced that $5 a day pay, the very next day, 10,000 people showed up at the factory in Michigan to try and get a job. And so what the effect of all of that was, was that now that people were being paid substantially more in these factories and the process had been smoothed out so completely that now those workers in the factory were now able to afford to buy the cars that they had been building because up until that point cars were still such a specialty or novelty item that they were very expensive and you had you know it was a sign of wealth if you had a car and so really what he did was not only to refine the industry, obviously, and make that process a lot smoother, but he also changed the way that people were paid. He changed, you know, the way that they were able to afford things. People now could drive places. It opened up the country as far as that generation or that time period was concerned. And so some of the things that I think about when I look at this is how that parallels to the legal industry today. And so if we think about um, legal fees and how attorneys are hired these days, you know, there's still the billable hours still very prevalent. And we start thinking about, well, how did we come to where we are as an industry? Because what some people don't realize, I think, is that back in, you know, before the 1950s, especially before the 70s, attorneys were using flat fees as we call them today. They had standardized rate sheets that the ABA was putting out and different bar associations were putting out. And they would tell you how much you could charge for things or essentially the flat fee that you were allowed to charge. And so what it really did was, you know, at that time there wasn't this focus on the billable hour, right? That came about after the nineteen fifties, somewhere between the fifties and the seventies, where the it was used as an accounting tool, time tracking. They would have people start tracking their time in law firms so that they could see how profitable they were. Because if they were, you know, spending 100 hours on a case, and they were only only charging a certain amount, they wanted to make sure they were being as profitable as possible, making sure that flat fee was covering the expense of the, lab, the labor and everything else. So they used it as an accounting tool, right, and tracking profitability. But somewhere between the 50s and the 70s mostly, it kind of morphed into the situation where now when you start telling people to track their time and when they're very conscious of what they're doing all day, now you start associating as a human being, you start associating that time with your value. So what am I worth then? Well, I'm worth, you know, the 10 hours I put in yesterday or the five hours I put in the day before. And so that really changed um, as an industry, how we started valuing our services. And so people now started looking, especially after the seventies, when those um, rates, the the um, standardized rates were outlawed as a... Um, What's the word I'm looking for, monopoly. Um, they were concerned about antitrust issues. So those were eliminated. And now the fallback position in most cases was this time tracking. And people started now using time tracking to measure the value of the services. And so what, what started out as more of a measurement tool really turned into a pricing tool and people started pricing their services, or attorneys, I should say, started pricing their services based on this time. Now, the challenge there, of course, well, there's many challenges there, but one of the ones that we'll talk about today is the idea that as that started to happen, now you have more and more people that are being priced out of this market because it is a very uncertain thing in many cases to be charging by the hour from a client perspective, especially because I don't know how long it's going to take you. I've never done a divorce. This is my first divorce as a client. I don't know how long it's going to take. Now, the attorney's going to turn around and say, well, I don't know how long it's going to take either. And they may not. They probably have more information than I, as the client, do, but they may not know exactly. So what happened was it made the, the services much harder and less certain to be able to predict how much you were going to be spending as a client. And so in many cases, it also rewarded, in some cases, rewarded the uh, slower attorney, right? Or the person that took more time to get things done. And so eventually we got to a point where, you know, there were a lot of people feeling like, and whether they could or couldn't is another story maybe, but feeling like they could not afford legal services. And so it left us in this situation where, We have a large amount of people, especially in the United States, that are not seeking out legal representation because they have this idea, whether it's correct or not in some cases, that they can't afford an attorney and they can't hire an attorney. And an attorney is for someone that has a lot of money or for a corporation or a business or whatever. So that's where we get into situations like, um, you know, Jack Newton of Clio likes to talk a lot about this gap, right? We've got this access to justice gap where there's a whole slew of people that are not being represented there. And so that's the kind of situation where I think we need to start looking to innovation and we need to start looking to automation. To be able to come up with different business models that are still very effective for business owners, law firm owners, um, still in order, still allows you to make money, but also provides a service to people that maybe otherwise didn't think they could afford it, or we weren't able to provide services for it, frankly, because it was just such a barrier to entry. And so what, what we need to start doing is looking at how we can recreate a system in order to provide a better service to our clients and to clients that previously maybe couldn't get the service. And so in my mind, it the very biggest piece of that is automation and systemization. And so if we start looking at how can we make our law firms more similar to maybe Henry Ford's factories than they had been in the past, I think we're going to have a lot of success there. Now I know one of the first things that's going to happen is people are going to come to me and say, well, that's all well and good, but I don't want to run a puppy mill and not every divorce is the same And, you know, uh, similar reasons like that. And I think that that is not necessarily true. I think that's an assumption that we have based on the systems and automations that we see out there today. So, for example, if we're looking at something like McDonald's, right, McDonald's is very systematized. If you go into any McDonald's in the country, they're going to make their hamburgers the same way. The fry person is going to stand in the same spot. I mean, it's all very, very systematized, right? And the result is we get the exact same hamburger. It doesn't matter if we're on the East Coast or the West Coast or anywhere in between, those hamburgers are gonna be exactly the same. And sometimes I'm thrilled about it because I'm driving across country and I don't know if I should take the risk of stopping at the little mom and pop store, that's probably fine, but how long is it gonna take me to get in and out when I need to be at my next stop? all kinds of risk I'm assuming there, right? But if I know that I'm going to be in and out of McDonald's in five minutes, I know exactly what the burger's going to look like, taste like, make me feel like, that's predictability. And sometimes I want to go for the McDonald's hamburger. However, there are other situations where I'm not interested in the commodity. I'm not interested in the McDonald's hamburger. I would prefer to have my coffee exactly the way I'd like it. I would prefer to have the fine dining experience, right? And so there are many situations where that predictability isn't necessarily what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the bespoke service. I'm looking for the bespoke product, right? And so I also believe, however, that those situations can also be systematized because here's what's happened. And if you don't believe me, here's a perfect example. If you go into any Starbucks in the country, same systemization. The same barista is going to be standing in the same spot for this particular type of drink. The machines are set up in the exact same order. It's all the same. But what you get can be totally different. So your order could be 10 ingredients different than your next, the person behind you in line. You got the exact coffee that you wanted right? But they still systematized it. And how did they do that? How come it's not like McDonald's where every coffee comes out the same? It's because they built systems that allowed them to be able to quickly identify and address different situations, okay? So if we're talking about a Starbucks, they have a system whereby, you know, the small latte gets filled just as fast as the large latte as far as I shouldn't say the cup gets filled. They do take different amounts of time to fill the cup, but the order gets filled the same amount of time as the large latte. So the idea is that they've built in a lot of different contingencies, right? But the, the other idea is that they can very quickly identify this person needs to go here. This person needs to go there. This, or I should say this cup of coffee, not always the person, but the cup of coffee needs to have this, this cup needs that. So Only by systematizing, though, are they able to identify those outliers, right? If they just took every coffee in, every cup in, and assumed it was the same coffee, they'd be wrong, right? So, what we need to do as a legal industry is to go ahead and create that systemization in our office that allows us to provide not only a custom experience for our clients, but a better experience for our clients. Because what often happens right now is a client comes in and we, you know, obviously we're talking about a frustrating situation. Not all situations are like this, but it's not uncommon to have a client come in and approach a firm. And, you know, the Person answering the phone is the same person that's doing the billing, is the same person that's doing the office supplies, is the same person that's handling payroll. And they quickly get overwhelmed and are not able to take in all the information necessarily that the potential client is saying. They're not able to focus on that client and be able to judge what needs to happen next for that client. It can be a very frustrating situation. So instead, if we had a system that said, Great. The potential new client comes in. All potential clients go and talk to this person in person, on the phone, via video, however you're doing it. Then that person, their sole job is to determine what route of um, procedure this this client needs to take. They need to talk to an attorney. They need to work with the paralegal for a few minutes. They need to get more information, whatever it is. And we start building out these workflows, or we start building out these systems that tell us what needs to happen in order to bypass the person that is overwhelmed possibly at the front desk. By the way, with more systems, she won't be overwhelmed anyway. But in the meantime, get the potential client to where they need to go. And so it's by building systems like that, that we can offer that more consistent service that our clients are looking for, consistent in quality that is, and solve their exact problem, not the problem that's similar to everybody else's necessarily. And so, a couple of ways that I believe the system can make your service better is by being more consistent and in quality you know every letter that goes out is a very high quality letter, you know less human error it's a better quality product that we're giving to our clients, whether it's documents or our verbal advice or representing them in a hearing, whatever it is. The systematic tasks go much faster and much quicker, so if we're talking about Every time we file a motion, we have a notice of motion. Every time we do a filing, we file it online. This is how long it takes us. We do it the exact same way every time. When those kinds of tasks are automated, now I, as the paralegal or the uh, you know associate attorney or even managing attorney, I don't have to worry about that stuff. I know it's going to go like clockwork. We have that built-in dependability of the system, and I can now focus on things that I think are going to provide that excellent service to my client. I can take a few more minutes on the phone listening to her story about her grandson because that's gonna build some rapport. I can take a few more minutes explaining something that she's having trouble with or he's having trouble with to make sure that they're completely, completely comfortable with the information that I've given them. I don't feel like I have to rush on to my next appointment because I know that the systematic things behind the scenes are working like clockwork and if they're not, I'm gonna be alerted. So that's the other part of being able to provide a really great systematic service is, I'm monitoring these things and I have ways to monitor them so that if something does break or doesn't work the way it should, just like in the Ford factory where the alarms start going off and the lights start flashing, I get an indicator that something's not right. That's when I spend my time to go look at it, figure it out, figure out what happened, prevent it from happening again. But I don't sit there redoing every letter because you know I, I'm not using a template, let's say. So I have more time to address these kinds of situations. I can give my clients more individual attention. It's easier to identify the clients that might need more help or situations that might need more um, attention. And it gives me better KPIs. For those of you that are tracking different statistics about your firm, how long did the case take? how long until we filed, how long until we settled, all those kinds of things. If I'm doing things in a very systematic manner, like entering the data filing into a practice management software, that's gonna give me very consistent data on my cases. If I'm doing that very haphazardly, Sometimes we get the data in there, sometimes we don't. It's only in half our files. Now we have to go back and fill in the rest of them. If I'm systematic about that approach, I'm gonna have the most helpful up-to-date information as it comes into my firm. And I can use that to start seeing trends, seeing good trends, seeing bad trends, seeing things I wanna prevent. Um, So it helps, the system helps me to create and monitor KPIs. And then also, I just want to remind you the example, right? We don't have to be a McDonald's, right? Your, st- your system does not have to create um, McDonald's hamburgers. Your system can create Starbucks coffee, right? And so I think that the idea of using a system does not mean that we have to give up on our dream of providing very specialized services. And I know this because we've had streamlined legal has been in existence for two years now. And prior to that, I was a practicing attorney doing residential real estate in the Chicago suburbs. And I did approximately eight to 10 closings a month. So about, um, you know, I, it was hundreds of, of closings. That's for sure. Over the 12 year period, probably thousands actually now that I think about it. But the idea is that on a smooth process, when we had our smooth processes going, I would speak to the client at the beginning of the case and I would meet them at the closing at the end of the case. And the rest of that file was handled by paralegals, was handled by document automation, was handled by automated emails to my clients. I was providing them with everything they wanted. I was giving them the good results. I was giving them the certainty along the way. I was letting them know what was going on. I wasn't always doing it personally and I wasn't always doing it manually, but it was getting done. And I promise you, that's what your clients want. They want the results. They don't care whose name is on the door. The only reason they ask for you is because you put your name on the door. So they don't trust anyone that isn't your name. <laughs> if you present your firm as a team, and every one of us is as good as the other at getting you the information you need and the results you need, then you're not going to have that problem. So in my situation, I was very fortunate to have fantastic referrals. I worked with real estate agents that would refer us clients. I worked with repeat clients all the time. And you don't get that kind of referral business and repeat business Without offering an ac- an excellent service, right? But that doesn't again. That doesn't mean that I had to be the person doing everything every step of the way. And so, I would encourage you to start looking at your practices and figuring out what are the KPIs that we can start tracking in our system. What are the things our system needs to look like? So we're going to talk about some of those steps next. We're going to talk about how we're going to create more of a systematic law firm in your practice so that you have the ability to take the time with your clients that you want to talk with them, to put them, you know, to give them the information and make sure that they're very confident in it and to make sure that they're getting the results that they want.
0: Hey guys, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. That's because we're seeing some really exciting things happening with Guild members and their businesses. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Inside, you'll gain support, tap into a network of connections, and continue learning, a common theme among successful entrepreneurs. There are so many benefits inside the Guild, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all of the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. Investing in a community is like the self-care of business ownership. Being in a community with other people who get it is crucial when you're creating a rock-solid foundation to build your business on, one that's strong enough to withstand setbacks, transitions, and growth. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode.
1: So how are we going to do that? The first thing we need to do is we need to start thinking through our processes. It is very easy for us to say, we file a complaint. We do it in every case. It looks pretty much the same. There's a few paragraphs we change in the middle, but that's what we do. I guarantee you you didn't just file the complaint. I guarantee you, you reviewed some notes from your intake I guarantee you, you went ahead and found a draft, whether it was from a template or from a past client that had a similar case. You did a little bit of research maybe. You um, talked to someone else in the office, asked them to prepare a summons, asked them to look up the service address. There were a lot of things you did in order to get to filing that complaint. But unless we stop and think about them, It's very second nature. We don't usually think about them. So I need you to take your practice, and I highly recommend starting a little piece at a time. Intake is a very easily identifiable place to start, so you could do that. But even if we say, okay, I do family law, we do motions to um, change the modification, sorry, to modify the support every week, every month. Start there, right? So what do you do to do a motion for modification of child support? That's what I want you to do is break it down into little pieces. You don't have to go in order necessarily. Pick a chunk that you do frequently, whether it's intake or motions or whatever you're doing, and start thinking through that process. One of the ways to do that very easily is pretend like you're training someone else and say, you know what? This is a new associate in my office. This is a new paralegal. What am I going to tell them? Let's pretend like they've been to law school or they've had paralegal experience, but they've never done this practice area. So let's explain to them, what do we do? We prepare the complaints, we prepare the summons, we prepare, you know, whatever else there is, cover sheet for the court if they require one. We go online, we go to this website, we use this password, we log in, we upload the file, we, you know, click on file, you know, whatever the steps are, I want you to write them down in as much detail as possible. It is always better to have too much detail than not enough, right? Because if we're trying to train someone new, this essentially becomes your procedures, right? Now we've got written procedures. So the more detail, the better. We can always go through and refine it or, you know, cross it out later. But that's the first step is to think through your processes the second step is to document them. We love shiny objects in this group, and I am no exception. I love new technology. I, why do you think I'm doing this instead of practicing law still? Because there is always a new you know, flow chart product, a new mind mapping product, a new practice management. There's all kinds of stuff. If you have one, if you like it, if you use it well, great, use it. If you don't, or if you're overwhelmed by the technology, take your pen and your piece of paper and write it down. That's it. It doesn't have to be complicated, okay? So we're going to, number step number two is to document that process, whether it's in a software, on a piece of paper, on a video, use Loom if you want to record some screenshots. But let's not get overwhelmed by the technology because the project is not to make a fancy video. The project is to document your processes. You can always go back later and make it fancy if you want to. Step number three, train your team on these systems. If you just write them out and expect them to be followed, probably not going to happen. Ideally, you're going to write them out and you're going to hand them out to everybody You're going to have a meeting about it. You're going to say, hey, listen, this is what we're doing now. This is why the why is always helpful when you're trying to get buy-in from your team, by the way. This is what we're doing now. This is how we're going to do it. This is why we're doing it. We're doing it because Bridget hasn't taken a vacation in two months. And we want to make sure when she comes back from that blessed vacation a month from now, she's not coming back to piles of work because now we know how she's doing things and we other people can help her, right? That's just an example. But the idea is that we wanna make sure we're training our team. And when I say train your team, don't just say, you guys need to make a task in Clio. Don't assume that they know how to do it, number one, or that they're all gonna do it the same way because they won't and that's okay. But in order to have some consistency, it would be very helpful if they were doing it all the same way. And if we don't talk about it, if we just make assumptions, it's not going to happen. And so step three, train your team. And then the last step here is we want to actually track how things go, right? Sorry, if we're being detailed, I left out the start doing the steps, right? So after you've trained your staff, have them start doing the staff. You have to start doing the steps too, by the way. Leading by example is another great way to get buy in from your team, right? If you tell everyone to track their time and you're the only one not doing it, guess how that's going to work out? Not as well. So, once we're actually doing these steps from our procedures, the last part here is being able to track it. So, when we're thinking through our steps of our procedures and the steps of our workflows, we want to make sure that we're putting in there particular parts where we are tracking things. So maybe it's a note in a task that says, put this information in the Clio custom field, or maybe it's a procedure that says, you know, document this in a Lawmatics, you know, or whatever you're using, right? So make sure, it doesn't have to be practice management. It could be an Excel spreadsheet, a Google spreadsheet, whatever. But make sure that it's built into your process where you want these measurements to be taken, right? So whether it's putting in a date of filing or putting in a date of settlement or whatever, make sure that that's built into your process so that when we get to the end and people are actually carrying out these processes, we now have data to be able to say, okay, we did it this way, this was the result, now we have all this data because we tracked it along the way, now we can start making some decisions off of this data. All too often, I find that firms get super excited about KPIs and they get super excited about automation. But I have to tell you, many of your firms are not set up in a way to support KPIs or to support automation. In order to have KPIs and automation work, you have to have some consistency that's producing the data that's either triggering the automation or trigger, you know, creating the KPI. So if your firm is doing things in a very haphazard or inconsistent manner. And we, sometimes we file the motion this way, sometimes we file the motion that way. It's much harder to measure, right? Because you're doing things differently. We don't know if this was, you know, it took five days because it was a different kind of motion or it took five days because it was a different person. We don't know. There's no consistency, So in order to support the KPIs and the automation that we are all so excited about, and should be because they're awesome, we need to make sure that we're putting in the underlying systems that are going to support that automation and those KPIs. And so step number four is to track it. Absolutely track what you're doing, build the data collection into those workflows, and start making decisions off of the information that you're tracking once we have a firm with strong systems we can not only provide the excellent customer service that we were talking about earlier but now we can start taking advantage of those very fantastic tools that we think of when we think of automation so when we think of a zapier and we think of automated emails going out to our clients and we think of you know automated text messages communicating with our clients and we think about you know Shoot, we can collect data for KPIs from a zap, you know, from an automation. So when we think about all those things, though, I know you've all had the experience where your doctor sends you a text message, your appointment's ready for tomorrow, don't forget. And you're like, I didn't make an appointment. That's automation gone wild. That's what we're trying to avoid, right? Nobody appreciates mistimed, mistriggered, incorrect automation. It's only impressive when it's correct. And so we want to make sure that we have underlying systems that will put in the correct appointment times, will put in the correct cell phone number for our clients so they can receive that text. If we don't have those systems, the data's not there, the automations don't trigger, and you're going to get nowhere. Similarly with the KPIs, if we don't have the system to collect the data, we have no data collected, we can't make decisions based on any meaningful data, and we won't get the benefit of it. So I am super excited to talk to you guys further about automation, about KPIs. But I want to instill upon you the idea that without these underlying systems, those tools that you're also excited to use and that could benefit your firm immensely, will be wasted, and will be wasted time and money, frankly. So. Thank you so much for joining me today. I would love to open it up to questions. Becca, if you have any. Otherwise, yeah, that's the 411 on systemization automation.
0: That was great. So we do have one question that I can see right now. Um, Alex asked, do you have a preferred tool for automation? He mentioned things like, not sure what the first one is, form tool, document, things like that. Do you have any recommendation on that? Sure.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of great tools. So I'll just mention a few of them that I enjoy. That doesn't mean that there aren't others that will work well for you, but just to give you somewhere to start, right? So I am a huge fan of practice management software. I think that... Um, it is a very excellent way to create these systems and to house that information, that institutional knowledge that we're all trying to capture so that we can help our clients in the best way possible. So um, as far as practice management software goes, I am a fan of any practice management software that will integrate with other programs so that I'm not always recreating data and information. Um, Right now, I think the leader in integrations is Clio. They do have the most integrations. Not all integrations are created equal. So that's not to say that they're all fantastic, but um, I do think that, that that's a place to start looking for practice management software. Clio itself is not super automated. However, they do have an excellent um, Zapier connection. And so I will often use Zapier to automate Clio, even within Clio. So it's, you don't have to just say, let's zap this from Clio to RingCentral, or RingCentral to Clio. You can do a Clio to Clio zap. And so I'll do that a lot. So for example, I'll say, well, when this task is marked as complete, then send this email out for my Gmail. Oh, sorry, that wasn't Clio to Clio. Let me start that over. (laughs) So um, when this new matter is created in Clio, I want Zapier to go ahead and create these folders in the new matter. So that's a Clio to Clio zap. So that's something I find very helpful. The other thing I find very helpful, I'm a big fan of Zapier. I like to go in there. um, For those of you that didn't make it to our Zapathon a a number of months ago, it was a ton of fun. And I like to go in there and I just put in every software I use, all the way from my Gmail to my Calendly to my Clio to my whatever you have. Stick it all in there and it will start making suggestions to you. So it will tell you how those, um, those programs can interact with each other. Some of them may be totally useless and you're like, I don't need that. But it will start triggering, it's like a brainstorm, right? So it'll start triggering ideas of what can I do with this software. So I find Zapier to be fantastic in that regard. As far as document automation goes, I'll tell you, I'm really torn because I've been using Clio's document automation for years. And the trick is everyone thinks it's terrible. Like they just don't know. Everyone makes this assumption that you can't do conditional statements in Clio, right? Right. So they think you can just take this field and feed in the information to the document. You can do that. But you can also say if this field is checked, then put in this paragraph. If this field is not checked, put in that paragraph. I did that for years and I think it's fantastic. So the the uh, the capability of our functionality of Clio's document automation is very good. But you do have to know how to code it. And that's not the easy part, right? So I'd highly recommend you either outsource it or find someone to learn it that is not you because as an attorney, it's probably not the highest and best use of your time. But there are some other fantastic tools out there if the coding of the templates is more of a concern for you um, and you don't want that learning curve. Um, there are other great tools out there. DocuMate is great. Ya yeah, is great. Um, so there's a number of them. Like I said, I just like to keep it as few programs as possible. I don't want to have to be, you know, in 10 different programs all day. So whatever I can stick within Clio or stick within what I have, I'll do that. So yeah, so I'd say for automation, I would look no further than Zapier. In fact, what I do is when I'm searching for a product, whether it's, you know, something for my email or something for documents, I'll go to Zapier first. And I'll search what kind of, well, this is one I did the other day, what kind of texting platforms work with Zapier, you know, and you've got, you know, um, Haymarket and Zipwhip and all kinds of things. So I'll search there for my software first to ensure that it's able to automate with the stuff I already have. So yeah, that's that's where I would start the process by looking. But I'll tell you, there's um, more and more you know, FileVine has some great automation. Lawmatics has some awesome automation. And so there's more and more products coming out with more and more automation, which I think is just going to be the trend and it's just going to get bigger and better. Um, So I'm excited to see that. But in the meantime, I feel like we can still imagine a lot more automation in our head that we want to happen than is actually programmed into software right now. And so I know that's really frustrating for a lot of people, but do keep in mind that Just because you think it should do it, it may not. And we may have to come up with another solution to make it work in the meantime. Now, I'm still also waiting for the one ring to rule them all as far as practice management software goes. So when I find it, I'll let you know. Um, But in the meantime, it's nice to be able to figure out how these programs can work together so I
0: don't feel like I'm starting from scratch every time. Those were great recommendations. Thanks yes so then alex also asked and for everyone else as well where can they find you what's the best way to connect with you so i'm very
1: active on facebook you're more than welcome especially since we're broadcasting there today you're more than welcome to reach out with to me with a message um i do have a business page uh streamlined legal um and you can go there in fact i'd encourage you to go there because we have a ton of videos there i mean i I can't remember the last time I counted, but probably close to 100 videos so far about, you know, everything practice management, everything, you know, technology. So please do feel free to browse that. The same videos are on YouTube. Our website is streamlined.legal. And so you're welcome to go there as well. And uh, email, instant message, phone, whatever works best for you.
0: We're, we're here. Great. Well, thank you so much for that.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks
0: so much for having me. Yes, you have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank you, you too. Yes.
1: Thanks for listening to the Maximum, Lawyer Podcast. the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.